Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's The Upper Room. Our podcast discusses Sunday messages from Pastor Don, looks at the recent news headlines, and any updates on our congregation and upcoming events. Leading the discussion is our church leadership with invited special guests. We hope you enjoy it and find it informative. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Now let's get going. All right, well, this is Scott Kimball. I'm one of the elders here at Bible Fellowship Church, and with us tonight is uh, Dr. Don Trest. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine, sir. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you. And also with us tonight is Andrew Kimball, our sound engineer. It's good to be back. We got a week off last week. Thanks for, for giving us the week off. You're such a generous host. Yeah, right? Yeah, no, it was uh, Hurricane Zeta that gave us the week off. <laughs> So, yeah, we were without power last week, so we didn't, we weren't able to uh, get our uh, show together. So we did without. So we're back this week, and uh, hopefully, we'll get caught up on a few things here. I want to go ahead and, and encourage our audience uh, to share this podcast with your friends and neighbors, and if you think it's of value. And also, I'd like you to go to your. Um, podcast app of choice that you're listening to this on and leave a review. We'd appreciate that too. It helps us gain a wider audience. Well, all right. Uh, so this last week we had Hurricane Zeta roll through and um, fortunately it was a fast storm. And so most of us just dealt with downed limbs and lots of leaves and debris and stuff everywhere. A um, few trees down here and there. The church did pretty well. Um, very minimal cleanup and damage there, which was good. And uh, so we're we're feeling very blessed. We've been in we've been in the uh, cone of uncertainty what five or six times this year. I think it yeah, like, like seven is what yeah. they said. And now we've got uh, it's I think it's a depression right now, but it's supposed to come back and become another tropical storm, um, Ada. And so that should go over towards Florida, but I've seen some models that show it hitting Florida and then circling back out into the Gulf again. So who knows? We'll just have to keep an eye on that one. But it's weird having weather like this so late in the season. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, um, after touching on all that, I wanted to go into the Sunday message and uh, Pastor Don preached uh, the message this week in Isaiah chapter 29. And we had... Uh, it was a it was a good sermon, a lot of good content there. Well, the main gist I saw out of it was the the idea that that God operates um, kind of out of His reality, and our reality obviously is corrupted by sin. And so we, um, in our efforts to organize society and even our own religion and everything else, um, we tend to fall very short of God's. Um, God's reality, God's expectations, and obviously we're looking towards forward to the second coming to write a lot of that. But um, I think there were some very timely things in there, which this whole series in Isaiah has been very timely. I think. As yeah, far that was as one thing I relating to current events. Yeah, about you know making the point that there was the point where he started off saying, where you started off saying, Don, that 
you're thinking about doing a, a speech on the election, but then kind of everything we've been touching on in Isaiah was pretty political and people abusing power and mistreating power and people in power and how they were acting with it. And so it kind of just, it's been election talk all this whole time leading up to it. So yeah, it was pretty topical. Yeah, I thought so too. And that's, um, I thought the interesting thing when he started out speaking, talking about, um, you know, those with power and those without power and, uh, yeah, you know, we were talking about electrical power, but um, in the political sense, that's kind of what the whole divide or the fights over is: is those who have the power and those who currently don't have the power who want the power, and uh, you know, all the shenanigans and everything they're willing to do to get the power. You know, we're at a time now here on November fifth. It's two days after the election. We still don't know who the president is, and there's a lot of. Uh, finger pointing going on right now, lawsuits being filed, a lot of shenanigans going on or accusations of shenanigans going on. And uh, it's unfortunately, I think for the American people, it's really causing us to sort of lose faith in our government institutions and the ability to just to hold a simple election. Yeah. I thought it was really timely in that regard, because I think that was one of the things God was was speaking to them through Isaiah about was the fact that even though they thought they were doing what they should be doing as a society, as a religion and everything, that their hearts and everything were so far from him that pretty much everything they were doing, God was not pleased with. So any comments, things you want to add to what you said on Sunday, Don? Well, there's a lot of moving parts in that chapter. Um, Yes, there are. To say the least, there's a lot of, I think, incredible ideas that we could have, um, you know, camped on. So we had to run through the chapter pretty quickly. But just an excerpt, just for our purposes, uh, uh, for this upper room uh, meeting here, is that from verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, um, you know, I just the idea that, that um, at least the church or church people, um, sometimes we talk a good talk and we're not really, we're not really much different than the politicians out there. Um, that's one of the things when he says, because this people draw near me with their mouth, talking about the folks that were inhabiting Jerusalem at the time of, um, Isaiah. But I don't know if you, uh, I want to tie that in with how the chapter began. Remember it began with that phrase, Ariel, whoa, right. uh, Ariel, Ariel the city where David encamped, and this encamp was an encircling of uh, the Jebusites who had Jerusalem stronghold. This encamp was a military operation. Uh, David um, captured um, Jerusalem for the first time. And uh, so it begins by saying Ariel, which is a sacrificial altar. And then it goes all the way back to David and said, remember, David, David conquered Jerusalem. And then he says, add year to year, let the feast run their course, yet I will distress Ariel, this whole, this idea of a sacrificial hearth or altar. And uh, this add year to year means year in and year out. The feast, they yeah. keep running the gamut, year in and year out. One thing that we did not bring out on Sunday, which might be helpful, is that that uh, Isaiah actually brought this um this onks that the Lord has with the people of Israel, 
uh, in his first chapter. And I'm going to go there and just read it for you. Um, here it goes. He says, hear the word of the Lord. And then he says, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Of course, he's using Sodom and Gomorrah um, because they were such wicked and such awful people deserving of God's judgment. He's just calling them uh, names. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the president when he says they're really bad people. You know, they're bad. To say that the people are like Sodom and Gomorrah means there's, there's none worse. Now, this is what he says then in the next verse. He said, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me year in and year out, you know, throughout those festival days and, and the daily sacrifices, that's my commentary then on that. He says, uh, who has required of you this trampling this of my course, this disgrace? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden or grievous to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands as in prayer and Etc. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So he opened up the book of Isaiah, the introduction to the vision of Isaiah, with this strong denouncement against the religious observances of the people of Jerusalem. And I think what we looked at on Sunday in Isaiah chapter 29 with this aerial, aerial, this, um, idea of a, of a, of a sacrificial heart. Um, mm -hmm. As we continued to read in chapter 29, we found out that, that he was going to put the people of Jerusalem on that sacrificial altar. Because he says, as David encamped, and then in verse 3, he says, I will encamp against you all around and will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you. It's probably referring to the yet-to-come um, destruction of Jerusalem uh, by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's some of the, but, but the one thing I think that appeals to me in Isaiah is I'm, I'm hearing the heartbeat of, of the Lord himself. It's not just Isaiah. And I'm learning as I work through the book of Isaiah, I'm learning who God is. I'm learning, mm -hmm. learning how he feels and how he thinks about the, you know, the activities going on in the in the period of Isaiah, but I'm sure God hasn't changed since then. And he may feel the same way about some of the things in our generation. He may even yeah. he may even have some uh, gripe against me personally. And I may not even be aware of it because I don't know him very well. And so as we work through Isaiah, we sh we should we should come face to face, if you will, with with the God of Scripture. And uh, as we see him and hear him, as we uh, sense his presence in the book of Isaiah, uh, it should have a, a transforming effect on us. Or we could be like the people that Isaiah spoke to. And he said, you know, as we've read it, I think, in the previous chapter, he's just they're just blind. Uh, they have no sensitivity. They have no awareness. 
of who God is and how and how he's grieved toward them and about to bring judgment. You feel that? You see what I'm saying? Is that um, is that our generation's in trouble? Yes. But I wonder I wonder if we could take that a step further and maybe open up our own hearts and our own lives and lay them bare before the Lord and say, Lord, shine, shine the light of your presence there and help me identify those things that I need, I need to, I need to, you know, make a dress. I need to uh, correct in my own life. All right, I'm done. No, I agree. I agree. I think, um, um, you know, it's got to start with us, right? I mean, you can't, we're not going to change society and we're not going to change the church even. Um, it's got to start by us changing ourselves first. And if nothing else changes, then at least we're where we need to be before the Lord. Um, and so I think there's definitely some some wisdom in that. And uh, it, it seems to me that we, like Israel in that day, were just checking boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew what the law was, what the ceremonies were, the things they were supposed to do throughout over the course of the year. But obviously his gripe with them was that their hearts were not in it. They weren't, they weren't, the heart attitude was all wrong. And you even see that in Jesus's ministry when he was there, the thing he kept going after the religious leaders for all the time was that, that their hearts were wicked, that they, they did the things they did Mm -hmm. to serve themselves. It wasn't out of any gratitude or any service to the Lord. And so I think, I think that's still, you know, that's part of the human condition, I think is, is, trying to evaluate our relationship with God and looking for those areas where we may be deficient. And I think you're right. I think a lot of Christians think they're doing okay because they don't really know who God is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I guess, I guess the only other thing that I would add would be uh, what I think, uh, you know, this was, this sermon came on Sunday before the election and the aftermath. And so in chapter 29 and verse 20, it says, for the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Who, speaking of these people, by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare mm-hmm. for him who reproves in the gate. With an empty plea, they turn aside him who is in the right. And that's our generation, not necessarily the, the political thing that went on the election or whatever, but that's just the way the world works. You know, there are people that are looking to take advantage of or to discredit or in some way, uh, some way marginalize or minimal, uh, minimize, you know, the effect or the impact of other people. We're just, we're living in a world in which, in which there's, there's little sensitivity, you know, to, um, to what is truly right and what is truly wrong. It's more like, Whatever you can get away with, then it's right. If you can't get away with it, then, you know, then I guess it's wrong. That was also, I mean, it's not exactly what you're speaking to right now, but something you mentioned in your sermon when you were talking about murmuring. Mm. And you said that you made the point that you, know, you murmur, and then if you can get two or three people alongside you to kind of agree with you, then you must be right. Mm. And that kind of, that did, was something that stood out to me where it's like, people people do kind of live like that. I mean, if you can get a few people on your side to kind of back you up, then yeah, all of a sudden what you're saying becomes truth. But the reality is it's not actually truth. It's only truth. You're just justifying what you're saying. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think we see that, especially in our society today, because we're so divided and so polarized that that both sides um, have convinced themselves that they're in the right, that their cause is the just cause and that the other side is the side that's that's evil and bad. And um, it's yeah, the group think is a dangerous thing, especially when there's no when there's no religious backbone, there's no scriptural backbone to the people, you know? It's like you were saying, there's no, there's no, there's no sense of what's real. You know, there's God's reality, right. and then there's the, the delusion that the rest of the world is living in. They're living outside, they're living in darkness, they're living outside the light of, of the reality of who God is, you know, in the scripture. And uh, that's a that's a bad place to be. It's kind of like running around outside in the dark in the in the middle of a hurricane. Many of us are living in the world, and we're frightened, and we're intimidated. Uh, we're we're living we're living fearfully. Yeah. So let's let's um, talk about the articles a little bit, and especially on the second article, it'll tie back into the message a little bit. I've got, I had one of those kind of aha moments about some things that are going on around the world that made me, made me think a little bit about, you know, why churches, especially in the United States are struggling today. So, um, so anyway, so let's talk about the first article, which is the, how gratitude can help with students' anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought this was kind of an interesting article. Um, did you guys have any initial thoughts when you read through it? The only thing is, is that the gratitude or the comfort or the, the you know, the, you know, the positive things that come out of that is still outside the context of the reality of the Lord. Sure. It's, it's creating, it's creating a positive environment um, that doesn't include the Lord. And so, that was the only that was the downside that I had to it. It's, you know, we're 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 plugging in um, psychology. We're plugging in science and uh, research and uh, it, and we're getting advice on how to best live our life um, and be happy in the world that we're in uh, as happy as we can be. But it's without any gratitude toward the Lord who gives us life and everything. That's actually pretty good and kind of ties into some of my thoughts on it. Andrew, did you have any thoughts? Kind of generally speaking, I mean, I kind of agree with what Don was saying that, yeah, it makes sense that having, you know, a specific group of students try to actually make an attempt to focus on gratitude and being grateful and, and things like that would kind of help with their overall outlook on life. But I, I get what, what Pastor Don's saying too, that yeah, in this specific article, you know, it's all just about the science of it and the psychology of it. There's nothing, you know, tying it back to, to God or, or anything like that. But I, you know, I think that the concept, you know, could be applied to our Christian life, you know, apply, focusing, trying to be more grateful and focus on gratitude towards God and towards the Lord could probably have a or not probably could, but would have probably a similar effect on our lives if we actually made an effort to be like actively grateful and thankful and focus on it as opposed mm -hmm. to the, the things we tend to focus on in life. I would think, right. that, I would think that Christians should excel uh, above right. all others in this area of gratitude. It certainly should be a central trait 
of our mental health as Christians. We should be filled with gratitude because mm-hmm. we have more to be grateful and thankful for than anyone else in the world. So we, if if we're in the dumps, if we're you know mellowing or wallowing in the muck in the darkness of all the ugly things in this world, and we're not grateful, then shame on us. You know, the world has a reason to be there. Uh, the other thought Scott, <laughs> right. that I got from this is that the scripture does address this, uh, this idea of what they're working for with this gratitude is to get a sense of joy, get a sense of, you know, of happiness. And the scripture says, look, if you're going to do this thing without the Lord, then you better, you, you might as well go ahead and, and eat, drink and be merry. Live life to its fullest because this is all you've got. When I read the article, my immediate thought was, well, duh, <laughs> you know, I, and it, I'm always amazed that I'm assuming there was a government grant or something that paid for this study. And I'm always amazed that people will pay to do these studies on things that, in my mind, are common sense. You know, it's it should be obvious that if if you're having problems with anxiety or whatever, I mean, as a Christian, we sing in the hymn book all the time, count your blessings, right? Mm-hmm. Count them every day, name them one by one. I mean, gratitude is a part of who we are as Christians because of what Christ has done for us. But it's also part and parcel with our daily life and in focusing on the things that God blesses us with instead of focusing on the things that are dragging us down. Mm-hmm. As a Christian, I think we just we just get the the joy of having that be part of our our social life, you know, just the way we, we act and treat each other. Now, not all Christians partake in that, unfortunately, but, you know, I know growing up, I was reminded time and time again in church that I should be grateful. I should have gratitude, you know, that Christ died for me and paid for my sin. You know, I should be grateful for that. So, yeah. So I read an article like this and, you know, my immediate thought is, boy, they spent a lot of money for something that should just be common sense. It's common sense and it's a biblical principle. And the world likes to hijack those things and claim it as their own and try to and try to put it in a context or in a, in a false reality in which you don't need the Lord in order to make this principle uh, work. So they hijack it, you know. It's a great idea. Right, exactly. They act as if they discovered it, they own it, and now they're going to share it and make the world a better place. Right, and they just invented this. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> All right, so um, the other article is uh, the one about uniting America by embracing tradition and opposing communism. This, the article itself... I thought was pretty well written. And the fact that the author of it, you know, came out and basically said that it's our belief. How does he put it? Talking about communism, teaching atheism, materialism, and philosophy of struggle while traditional culture uplifts humanity by pointing toward God. Communism denies divinity. Instead, it reduces human beings to their atoms, providing no basis for unity or morality. I thought that was pretty interesting. And then the next paragraph talks about this idea of struggle. Um, well, first, let me get your guys' thoughts on on the article first before I kind of go into my aha moment on this. Um, in looking it over, uh, was there anything that really stuck out at you that made you think about? I mean, nothing really like screamed at me. Like I didn't really have any like aha moments like you're talking about, but the whole thing I, I agreed with, you know, for the most part, I, I, didn't really have any problem with what they were saying. Um, I liked them up front stating that they weren't, they're not supporting either candidate or endorsing either candidate. 
and that they just believe in reporting facts and and stuff like that. And then they they went into basically com- kind of comparing what where we started versus where we're headed and why we need to do something about that because we're headed towards communism. Mm-hmm. It says something here about individuals are taught to be in a constant state of struggle, a war of all against all to seek the approval of an all-powerful state. It, I didn't have to look far to see examples of that happening in society, and especially when they talk about China, but then the the things starting to happen over here. But And then a lot of this stuff when they were talking about um, just how deep the Chinese, I don't want to call it an invasion. I'm struggling to find the right word, but- right, Like the, their influence. Yeah, how far they're kind of bleeding in and, and taking root to mm-hmm. to create their sway is, it's, it's pretty crazy. I'm just going to point out where he said that like the FBI reports that it opens a new counterintelligence investigation every 10 hours against China. Like that's a staggering uh, statistic. And I don't like there's a it's like a hyperlink. So I guess you could click that to follow it. I didn't do that to see like where where they're getting their information. But, you know, assuming that that's all true, that's that's not good. (laughs) No, a little alarming. Yeah. A couple of ideas that I had was, you know, uniting America by embracing tradition. And tradition can mean different things to different people. And sure. so embracing tradition is the solution. But I, in reading the article, the only thing I can think of is embracing tradition means uh, resist change. You know, if a new idea comes down the pike, um, you know, walk away from it. That, that, it didn't say that, but, but it never really, you know, other than the roots, you know, of our, our nation, the Constitution, and that, and then the other idea of opposing communism, communism, uh, mm-hmm. the things that it said, I I felt like it was telling me to uh, that I needed to rise up and fight. That this is a struggle for life and death, and I need to be a part of that. You know, everybody's against us, and it's that way because I, I because I'm not doing my part. So I almost, and this is just maybe my way of thinking, and it may not actually be fair to the article. But I almost felt like it was manipulative. It's trying, even though he's saying, hey, we don't embrace any candidate or whatever, but there is an ideology or we expect for you to embrace. And if you don't, you know, bad things are going to happen. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't. So yeah. you can correct me. I may be way off base and, and having read the article that way, but it is an election uh, week. And so I might be a little uh, dark anyway. Probably a little sensitive. Uh, a little sure. Cynical. <laughs> Well, that too. Yeah. And well, and I think there's some truth and I don't, I don't know if it's so much, maybe it, maybe it is, maybe there is some manipulation in there, but I also saw it as kind of a wake up call, you know, that, that a lot of Americans don't realize that we've essentially been at war with China for, you know, decades now, and they've been carefully and slowly and methodically working their way into our society through these Confucius Institutes that they have on our college campuses and all the ideology that they're teaching. That's why you're getting this whole mess on college campuses with, you know, with speech and safe zones and all that kind of stuff. All of that extends out of the work and the effort that the Chinese have been putting into disrupting. They call it traditions, but I'm thinking more of they're trying to disrupt the American philosophy, you know, the, the idea that we are all um, created before God with certain unalienable rights as, you know, declared in our declaration of independence, they're questioning that, 
you know, even things like the New York Times article, the 1619 Project, where they're trying to say that, you know, America's always been bad. We were bad oh, because we started out as slaveholders and it's never been, you know, we've never been good. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's all part and parcel with this philosophy or this ideology that's being taught. And my aha moment to all of this was I was also studying and and reading up more on critical theory. And critical theory has several different flavors, but the main one is sort of the Marxist flavor that, that teaches that everything is about power. Like we were talking about earlier, the two sides are all struggling to get power. And in this article, it talked about this constant struggle that everybody's in and that all relationships are power relationships, husband, wife, you know, boss, employee, all those are all those kind of relationships. And the Bible talks a lot about those relationships and puts them in kind of a hierarchy of how they're supposed to work. And I want to say that the reason that the church is struggling today is because this critical theory has become so much a part of the way people think today that they come to a church and they see a group of elders that are leading a church. They see a pastor teaching scripture authoritatively as a threat. You're, you are an oppressor mm. and, and you're oppressing these people um, by, by authoritatively teaching the word. And so it, part of the overall design or whatever to break down those bonds in this name and idea of equality that nobody should have power authority over anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so, and I would, I would love to think that there, there's a benevolent idea behind it, that they're doing it out of good intentions, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And so my aha moment was thinking that, you know, maybe that's the reason why Christian churches are struggling and the churches that pr- are providing a Sunday morning worship service that's largely entertainment seem to be doing okay, but churches that are actually actively authoritatively teaching the word seem to be struggling because there's fewer and fewer people, especially young people, that are willing to sit under that kind of teaching because they're subconsciously even being viewing this as some sort of oppression mm-hmm. that it's that it's not that you're trying to impart to me the the words and and the heart of God, you're trying to oppress me. You're trying to tell me that the way I'm living my life isn't right and that I need to live it the way you're telling me to live it, the way the Bible wants me to live it. And uh, they reject that. Makes sense. Yeah. So that was kind of my aha moment in reading this. I just started connecting the dots of kind of what's been going on over the last few decades in the United States. Well, these people have been through colleges and stuff where they're being subconsciously indoctrinated with this kind of philosophy. Mm-hmm. and. Many of them have rejected traditional values and traditional um, institutions because they see them as oppressive. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and in order to gain their freedom, they have to throw off the bonds of this oppression. And so they, they reject religion. They reject church. They reject the courtesies and the, and the values that, you know, that we started out with in this country when people had kind of a common bond as Americans. It's interesting when you can kind of stand back a little bit and kind of begin to view some of these things sort of like an outside perspective and begin to kind of connect some dots on where things are going and what's going on. You know, and this shouldn't surprise any of us, especially those of us who understand and read and teach scripture, because, you know, we know that people's hearts are are broken. They're affected by this thing called sin. What's the solution? In other words, do we live? How do we how do we then live? How do we shine as light 
and not just just hide in the woods. Right. I, yeah. And I think we do what we've been doing. You know, we we have to be true to to what God has called us to do, which is to teach the word and to spread the gospel um, to alleviate suffering when and where we can mm-hmm. and uh, to live a godly life. And like, like I said earlier on, you know, we can't we can't change other people. Um, we, we can participate and we can we can get involved and we can vote sure. and we can start clubs and societies and things that maybe teach more godly values and try to be an influence on on the culture. Uh, I think part of the reason we're in this fix is because a lot of Christians have sort of abandoned the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, our answer to to Disney putting out things we don't agree with is to boycott. You know, we don't we don't try to provide an alternative or try to um, get it engaged in the culture and do something positive. We just boycott it. You know, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to deal with that. And I think, I think in hindsight, that was kind of maybe the wrong move. Yeah. And so we just disengaged from culture. And I'm not sure if some of the motivation by those who wanted us to boycott so-and-so for whatever reason, wasn't a power grab on their part. I think you're right. And so there's a, there's a, there's a Christian corruption that that wants to be in power or in vogue. And so, and they do like politicians do. They want to use the masses. They want to yep. uh, bring them in to accomplish their purposes. And so that's what makes it difficult. I'm afraid, actually, I'm concerned that there will be some, because they're untaught in the scriptures, that will, that will be um, pulled in to more radical reaction uh, to what they suppose to be socialism and potential communism. In other words, this uh, call to fight, this call to make a stand. I'm afraid that there are those within the church uh, or under the banner of Christianity that are going to take some ungodly and unwise uh, action and all in the name of the Lord to discredit Christianity even further in the eyes of the culture. Uh, we're absolutely. I mean, the church is its own worst enemy. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at what happened with abortion. You know, the church was winning on the issue of abortion. We were making inroads and then some people who thought they were doing the work of the Lord started killing abortion doctors or blowing up clinics or doing things like that. And that's, that completely destroyed any advantage we had in the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to be judged for that. I think, you know, the abortion issue really is today's modern day slavery issue. I think as bad as slavery was back in the beginning of our country, abortion is just as bad, if not worse today. I agree. And I think, I think we're going to be judged on that. I think, uh, I think that, you know, especially for Christians to, to not speak out on that issue or to be soft on that issue or to vote for people who are pro-abortion. I think, I, I think that's, that's horrible. It, it's just as if you were voting for the, the pro-slavery side of things, you know, it's just, it's, it's that bad. It's that evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately I think the church is kind of lost because like you say, you know, there was a few people who were, I don't know, you know, unlearned, unscriptural, whatever, but they thought they were doing the work of the Lord and, and, uh, ended up doing very evil things in God's name. 
Definitely not good. I share your concern in that. I really do. Sure. And rightfully so. I think that's very possible. Let's go ahead and um, go to the announcements. Of course, we've still got the Saturday morning men's breakfast. We'll be there again this Saturday. And uh, if you can make it over at 8 a.m., it's it's for an hour. And we're talking about character traits that we want to develop as men and uh, trying to be the the men, the godly men that we need to be in our, our church, in our home, at work, everywhere. So if you can make it, that would be fantastic. John cooks up a really good breakfast. It's always a good way to start your Saturday morning. If you can come and be a part of that, that would be fantastic. Also, I want everyone to take the time to, you know, continue to pray through the week. Obviously, we want to be praying about where the election's going and how things are going. And if if Biden ends up being our president, we, we as, you know, church people need to pray that, well, pray for him, first of all, but also pray that um, we as the church can be a, a good and positive um, influence. You know, the church should never have a black mark for being terrible citizens within a society. We should be model citizens, if anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have to be very careful in how we respond. And uh, in, in kind, if, if Trump gets reelected, we also need to be in prayer for him, that he takes the right steps and does the right things as president as well. And if he doesn't, that we as the church, you know, um, respond in a, in a way that honors God. And uh, I think it's important. But we also want to pray that locally and for yourself, that the Lord would give you some opportunities to invite folks to church. Sure, People need the Lord and they need the teaching of the word. And that's where we're really struggling these days is there's just not enough people who really have a good grounding in scripture. Uh, they think they know God. They think they know what God wants them to do and how they want to, how he wants them to live their lives, but they really have no idea who he is. I think there are many people who are uncertain. There's almost, they are. it's not necessarily an apathy. It's more of an agnosticism. They want yeah, to believe, absolutely. they want to have confidence, but they're just unsettled all the time. So they can't really move forward because they don't have the confidence in it because it's been undermined yep. for whatever reason. I think there's a lot of good people out there that have a heart for the Lord, but just don't know where to turn or how to go about it. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. Well, all right. Well, Don, uh, would you close us out in prayer this evening? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings of the day. Thank you, Lord, for those good things that are part of our life, because we know, Lord, that you are sovereign and that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from us. So we want to be men who have hearts that are truly uh, grateful uh, to you and appreciative of the good things and the good people that are part of our life. We also pray, Lord, for our country, for the situation with the election. We know, Lord, that you're sovereign. We know things work out according to your plan, that things uh, things uh, move along a pathway of your choosing. And so um, we would pray, Lord, that uh, the outcome of this election and, and what what that forecast for the future, that in the midst of it all, no matter which way it goes and no matter who's president and how they behave or what they do, uh, that in the midst of it all, that we would continue, Lord, as individuals, as families, as a church, uh, to see your hand of blessing and provision for each one of us. And the opportunity, Lord, that this will afford for us uh, to be a light, uh, a beacon shining in this, in this dark world. So we pray, Lord, that you keep our hearts tender toward you, that you would uh, give us a focus in our souls 
upon uh, your word and upon your way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and found it thought-provoking. The Upper Room is a Bible Fellowship Church production. The opinions discussed by our guests are just opinions and random thoughts at the time of recording and do not necessarily reflect the doctrine or stated beliefs of Bible Fellowship Church.